We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. bringing you another brand new episode of Setting the Pace here on PacersTalk.net where we have a very special guest joining us today, the one and only Howard Beck, senior writer for the NBA for Bleacher Report, as well as host of The Full 48, which you can find on iTunes as well as other avenues. Uh, Just an awesome guest. I mean, Howard and I dove into basically everything that's going on during this Questionable time. I mean, an an epidemic, whatever you want to call it, the coronavirus has struck. It is now basically around and out the end of March, and there's no no end in sight in terms of when the NBA season will resume. Howard had a little different, but Howard had been through two previous lockouts, and we'll talk about how things were handled in terms of when basketball was not being played and what some of these players can do to stay in shape during this time. But for right now, there's not many answers that can be provided. We do hope the season will resume play, at least at some point. I know right now, NBA is really hoping for maybe a late June resume of play. Uh, I know from, from various things that I've read, the players want to go on with the season. It's just a matter of when will it be safe to resume play. I hope that everybody is um, you know, safe and flattening out the curve, as they say. 
I know uh, I've been cooped up inside for far too long, and uh, at times, you know, maybe going a little bit nuts. But I think that that's kind of just the the natural um, natural human being in me, just someone who's very social, who likes to be out and about and get some fresh air. I mean, fresh air for me has been walking around the block. So I hope you guys are finding a a way to kind of take a break from everything that's going on and hopefully this provides a little bit of a break for you guys because we're going to bring on Howard Beck coming up next. All right, everybody, what is going on? We are joined today by a very special guest, truly one of the best in the business, host of the Full 48 podcast and senior NBA writer for Bleach Report, Howard Beck. Howard, how you doing during this confusing time? <laughs> as well as any of us can be expected to be, Michael. Uh, thank you for asking. Hope you're doing well, too. Yeah, I mean, it's just a, a real un- uncertainty. I mean, I'm not going to, you know, I'm no no doctor or scientist or anything, so I'm not going to try and be. But I was just curious, how does this affect someone such as yourself, who's been covering the NBA for quite some time? Yeah, I mean, it's... I've been covering the NBA long enough to have already gone through two lockouts, one in 1998 and one in 2011. And so the idea of my job, my beats being kind of oddly just on hold in limbo, like there, there's a similar feeling to it, it just in the abstract, right? The, the basic outline. There's no games when I would normally have games to cover. Different time of year, last, you know, in, in 98, you know, they, they lose the games in, uh, for you know, November, December, January, and it starts up in February. Um, but there was no threat to the playoffs. There was no, you know, it was, it, it was, you know, the season was compacted, but it started eventually. And then same thing in 2011, the season starts on, on Christmas. And so it was just delayed a, a while. This is obviously dramatically different in the details because it's a season that was stopped midstream. Uh, and, and, and late, you know, in the season. So, you know, here, here it is a time of year. Where we're supposed to be getting excited about the playoffs are coming up. There's the stretch runs and award chases and all this stuff. And, and all of a sudden it's just, you know, put on pause, but also, you know, you know, like with a lockout, we don't know when things might start again, but unlike with a lockout, everything is now outside of the control of the NBA and the circumstances are obviously far more serious, far more scary and dire. And this isn't a labor war. This is a, a global pandemic that, you know, I mean, that, that phrase alone, by the way, like when are, how often do we have to try, say the words global pandemic in our lifetimes um, in, uh, unless it was something out of a history book? So just that alone is just this strange thing, social distancing. We're adding all these new terms to, to the lexicon and just adjusting to this new reality. So, yeah, um, my first concern, like everybody else, is just about health, mine, my family, um, older relatives, my, people around me, neighborhood, whatever. And then, you know, and on, t- on top of that, yeah, the, the job is, is, has changed right now. But just as we found, you know, plenty to write about during a, a lockout, there's still stories to be told in, in this weird sort of, of uh, interlude we're in this shutdown and you know we'll you know we'll we'll all find our way through it um, I, you know, I, 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 I try to you know remind people even including myself but there there are much bigger concerns right now than whether or not we get to watch basketball and eventually the basketball will, will return and, and normalcy will return and um, 
in the meantime, we can just all we can do is, is is hope that this thing gets under control quickly. No, it's true, and just the, the term "global pandemic" just a terrifying phrase. I mean, something you really never expected to hear. I mean, so much has happened over just basically the past week of no games. But when you talked about the previous lockouts, this situation just so much different because these owners and the league and everyone you're, you're trying to come up with a plan on the fly, basically, and. You're going to run into scheduling conflicts. I mean, some of these teams share arenas with numerous other teams. So if talk of resuming the league is around June or July, do you think that there is any possibility of just going forth with the playoffs, or do you think they might just cancel it overall? Yeah, my, my running joke on this is that there's this vast uh, area of topics, questions that all just fall under a category of, I don't know. No one's got an answer. And this <laughs> is one of them. Like, Adam Silver was on with Rachel Nichols last night, and he doesn't have answers either. And mm-hmm. that's because it, it's not in his hands. Adam Silver does not get to decide. Now, Adam Silver can decide that we, that the NBA will resume in private gyms uh, attended only by players, support staff, and some media and TV cameras. He can decide that if they can find a way to, to make it safe enough to assure everyone. But he can't decide when to, to start up games at Madison Square Garden and Staples Center and, and everywhere else around the country. They, w- w- this is to a point where, very literally, it is out of the NBA's hands. This is way beyond um, anything involving the league or the world of sports. This is, you know, we, we now all have to follow the lead of public health officials and elected leaders. And when, when those folks say it's okay to, to have large gatherings again, then the NBA can decide how much regular season to salvage or if to salvage or to jump straight to playoffs or what those look like. No, it's completely true. I mean, I don't know who is even in charge to make any answers, give any updates at all. It's just really taking this day by day, pretty much hour by hour, all really trying yes. to, you know, when you're mentioning the self-quarantine, the social distancing, whatever we can do to basically stop the spreading for now. But when you're talking about Adam Silver, you know, talking about addressing basically the league and everything yesterday. One of the things he floated out there was the idea of an NBA charity all-star game type situation, more like an exhibition. Do you think the NBA would be able to make this happen? Because for something like this, I feel like the fans truly need that. And it shows that basketball, it's far more than just entertainment. For some people, it it's an escape from reality. There's so many moving parts that would go into that game, but I don't know how they would be able to do it, but if they can, I mean, how how fun would that be for just your average NBA fan to get basketball back, even if it's just for one night? There were two kinds of responses last night on Twitter because I I was watching and tweeting as he as Adam Silver had his interview with Rachel Nichols, and I, I tweeted that part of it, and I didn't tweet. You know, there's some context where Adam said, you know, like if we can provide X Y Z, and it was you know basically trying to make sure that it was it would be safe to do so. Two responses, 80%, which were maybe 70%, which were, hell yes, this would be awesome. I can't wait. I want to watch this. It will be really well watched. It will raise a lot of money for charity because that was kind of the, the idea of it. Um, yes, please, NBA, we need this. And then the other 30% were, this is the dumbest idea I've ever heard of at a time we're all talking about social distancing and what are you even thinking, NBA? Um, listen, the NBA is not going to do this if they can't find a way to do it safely and without exposing anybody unnecessarily to to the illness obviously obviously 
Um, and if anybody thinks otherwise, they're either hyper cynical or just ignorant and, and not paying attention. I think if I were to, to, to speculate, and it's only speculation, I've not had any discussions with, with league officials on this particular topic, but my guess would be that if you got, you know, whatever the subset of players is, right, it's probably not two teams, although maybe it's probably some, you know, subset of players who are, you know, in a given city uh, or you can get to a, to a given city. And so, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe you do do it in New York or L.A. where you can get, you know, a, a, some assemblage of Knicks and Nets or Lakers and Clippers, teams that are close to, to close by anyway, so you don't have to travel. You get them, their coaching staffs, equipment managers, trainers, uh, support staff, uh, medical personnel, all those people that you normally have on site for a game for the athletes and the game itself, uh, game operations staff. And then you bring in ESPN or TNT and you bring in X number of print reporters and it, and that's it. No fans. And you do it, you know, wherever is, is, is deemed to be a, a um, clean environment. And with the players and all the other personnel who work for the NBA, you can either have, you know, given them all, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, you can take temperature of everybody. You can, you can make sure that nobody's got a fever. Uh, some of them may have already, in, in the case of the Nets, four players have already had it, and presumably you are you are immune once you have gone through it. So they'll be immune. Um, others maybe have been in sequester this whole time. Team staff could have been in sequester this whole. So if you can get to a point where you know that all those people I just listed, all those categories of people, are safe or can be assessed before walking into that building, and I think it's plausible. Now, if, if we had a third person on this line who was um, a specialist in, uh, you know, in, in, in viruses and public health, they might say, no, Beck, you're crazy. There's no way of, of assuring this, and it's not even, it shouldn't even be attempted. That's possible. Um, but to me, that's, there's a logical outline there where if you can – Figure out a way to, to to keep it limited, and in a building, uh, you know, a smaller building, uh, not not in a big arena with, that where a lot of people have been tromping through. Uh, I think it's possible. We'll see. I think it's possible at the minimum, no fans. That that's got to be just the starting point. Uh, but you know, th- to look at the bright side of this, because there really is no true bright side. But if play does resume, I mean, there were some teams that had some players that were very banged up that now can you know, recover a bit more. For instance, Victor Oladipo on the Pacers, coming off a very serious quad injury, he's someone who has not looked 100%. Maybe this allows him to be able to get more into game shape, but then there's also the other side, the flip side, that team facilities just announced that they're shutting down. I mean, there there's not going to be these team practices going on, and then you start to think about the last lockout in 2011, a guy that we're who unfortunately his his career and a bit of his life spiraled out a bit. Lamar Odom had a lot of personal issues going on during that break. He, he goes through the trade from L.A. to Dallas. Is there a fear that maybe all this time off could be detrimental to some of these players when they're not sticking to kind of a routine? Yeah, I, I think that's a real concern uh, and, and, a, and a smart issue to raise. Uh, yeah, on the one hand, you know, Giannis's knee will be better. Victor Oladipo should be in better shape. On the other hand, uh, you know, I remember back in 1998 in particular, I don't remember if it happened in 2011 as, as dramatically, but in 98, um, it, it, it infamously was the end of Sean Kemp's career as a dominant player mm-hmm. in the NBA. He came back overweight and 
you know, that there were a lot of guys who did not stay in shape during that lockout. Now, that's by now, and I hate to say it because it makes me feel old because I covered that lockout, but it's ancient history. It, we're in a much different NBA right now. And we're even in a different NBA in 2020 than in 2011 when the lockout happened in terms of, you know, player awareness of diet, nutrition, health, uh, you know, general, general health, uh, fitness, um, I think, you know, there was a time when in all pro sports and certainly the NBA, you got in shape during training camp in the season. And that's why you had a training camp. And then you kind of let yourself go a little bit in the off season. Guys are like training and playing year round. Now their routines are better. They're more disciplined about it. And it won't be a hundred percent. That's not to say everybody. I think that most guys right now are, you know, even without team facilities, will be finding ways to, keep themselves in shape whether it's home gyms or whatever uh, it's a little more challenging right now obviously because I, you know i don't know about it in indianapolis um or some other places but in new york and i would imagine la and certainly in the bay area gyms are shut down i can't go to my gym right now and so you know if guys can't go to team facilities you know they're going to have to find other ways to work out but i i think guys will will take good care of themselves i think the bigger issue will just be there's a difference between shape and basketball shape. And there's a difference between, you know, you know, playing or working out on your own versus scrimmaging versus playing in a live NBA game. And I just think it's going to take guys, especially if it's a two month layoff or more guys are going to be rusty. No matter what you've done, you're going to be rusty. And chemistry of teams is going to have, have kind of ebbed and, just just dissipated and so they're going to have to find ways to and I don't, I don't think there's any way to accelerate that you can't you can't you know speed that up but you can perhaps have a training camp when this is all over right like oh it's okay it's safe for everybody to start gathering again um every every nba team we're, we're going to give you a week of training camp and then we'll all you know we'll all play whether it's trying to squeeze in some regular season games that had been knocked off the schedule or maybe it's an exhibition game or two, because that's what they did after the lockout ended in 98-99. They just ended up having a, a, a brief training camp and then a couple of exhibition games just to get guys back into the rhythm. But I just think that no matter what the NBA does, it, it's going to be pretty rough. When guys get back to playing, no one's going to look like we, we are used to seeing them, especially at this time of year. It could be a pretty, could be a pretty ugly playoffs. I think so. I think a training camp is going to have to happen because, you know, when you talked about before, you know, my gym is shut down. I mean, what I'm doing now is I got a couple bands in my house that I'm using, uh, the perfect push-up, a, a pull-up bar. That's about it. You know, I, I could run around the block. But for these basketball players, you would figure for the most part they might have access to a hoop, but all of them, they might not. They're not going to be able to do these full-on workouts that they're used to. So I do think the play it might kind of – you know, drop down to uh, the rate of, you know, 1998 when the last lockout came with the scoring being a little bit lower and everything. It's only natural that these guys would be a bit rusty. So also curious to see what would happen with all NBA teams. Do you think they would just pick all NBA teams if we don't get to finish the league? Because Howard, as you know, there's a lot of money involved in bonuses that uh, relates to being able to get, you know, maybe super max contracts and, and things like that. Do you think the NBA could still proceed just picking all NBA teams? without finishing the season? It's funny because, as I said, there's a lot of things that go into the heading of nobody knows, don't know, can't say, we'll see. Adam Silver 
was asked this straight up last night by Rachel Nichols. What are we? What's going to happen with postseason awards? Are we going to vote on these things? Or are they still going to happen? And Adam says, "I'm just not there yet." Like he just didn't even want to <laughs> it's think about it. Good answer. I mean, it's um, true. My my response, yeah, they'll they'll do it. Like I I I don't again. I, I've not had this conversation with them. It's too trivial to even yes. bring up. But I'm fairly certain if the season just gets wiped out, whether we're you know whether it's jumping straight to playoffs or whether there are no playoffs, no championship or whatever, for posterity and because enough of a season was played to do it, yeah, the the NBA will. I am fairly certain in predicting. We'll send out ballots to all of us who normally vote on all the usual awards, and we'll award them based on the you know eighty percent of the season that was played. I think individual awards very fair to vote on. I do not think that you can crown a champion without playing uh, in well, clearly, actual playoffs. Yeah. You know that wouldn't be right. But individual All NBA teams, I think we've seen enough of the regular season to know that hey, despite not playing the final about eighteen games, we could still pick All NBA teams. But Transitioning over to you know our beloved Indiana Pacers on this podcast about in in 2018, roughly actually about two years ago, almost to the day, you know you had Kevin Pritchard on your show, awesome interview, it, guys. I highly recommend if you want to go back and look on the full 48. What was the sense that you got from Kevin Pritchard of building this team because it was pretty much you know you're coming off of trading Paul George, and I thought the Pacers had a pretty good offseason this year but what was the perception that you got from Kevin Pritchard boy testing my memory there uh it's a <laughs> lot of a lot of uh podcasts ago in a, mm-hmm. in a couple of years I mean I I think you know that was of course at a time when you know when they had traded Paul George you know before the season and everybody was was just oh man you know poor pacers and you know having to to, to do this you know this kind of deal with a gun to the head and um, they're rebuilding. They're screwed. And then, of course, I think by the time I got Pritch on, they, they were just wildly overachieving, and that's all they've been doing ever since. Every every year, they keep exceeding expectations. And, and huge credit to Kevin Pritchard and, and Nate McMillan and the rest of that staff. They've just done an incredible job getting the most out of everybody they've got there. But also, you know, look, they, they in, in Oladipo and Sabonis, they clearly had a couple of undervalued. Uh, talents that just hadn't had the chance to show everything that they could do in this league yet, or were still evolving and credit to the Pacers for recognizing what those guys could become. And, you know, every GM on some level will, you know, they'll, they'll tell you, you know, look, we saw, we saw something, but we couldn't have known fill in the blank was going to be this good. And it happens all the time. I mean, it's, it's happened, you know, Nikola Jokic obviously was a second rounder and, you know, the mm-hmm. Nuggets will, you know, they're, they, they're they're pretty modest about yeah we did not realize he was going to become an all star and I don't I don't think uh, you know I don't think Kevin Pritchard and his staff would would have predicted how good this team or those players could be but I you know the, the great thing about the Pacers and I think they 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 probably don't get enough credit for this because one they're, they're you know they're a middle of the pack playoff team they're not a contender and, and two. It, it is part of the part of being in a smaller market in this league. You you get overlooked a little. They have done an incredible job of just finding value, developing players, making the most with what they have, knowing that they're not, they're not going to be able to outspend anybody. They don't have a glamour market that's going to attract the top talent. They're never going to be the ones who can land a Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving combination, or a Kawhi or, or LeBron. That's just the reality of it, unfortunately, in this league. But so you you uh, you accept that on some level in certain markets, 
and then you say, but so where, you know, where, where can we get the advantage? And whether that's in scouting or player development or, you know, finding the hidden gems. Um, and that's what that team has done, I think, just so brilliantly. And it's why they keep exceeding all of our expectations. The question will be, is there a ceiling on it? How far can you push that? If you can never get, if, if, if this league, if, if championship contention in this league is generally uh, tied to having at least one, you know, a top five player and then a, maybe a couple guys who are at least top 10, top 20, can you, can you do it a different way? Um, Milwaukee is now the standard bearer for that, that camp. The, the, mm-hmm. the, we believe it can be done in a small market camp because they got Giannis with the 15th pick and he turned into a superstar and an MVP hard to replicate. Um, it's not, a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a model. I don't know if it's a model that, that anybody can look at and say, well, we'll just do that. We'll just, we'll just find a future MVP with yeah, the 15th pick in the draft. <laughs> um, but, but that, that's the challenge for the Pacers now. How far can you get this thing? Can you, can you get to title contention by just keep continuing to build around the edges and, and finding hidden gems? So that's the frustrating thing because I really did love the Pacers offseason. You know, you make the trade, the sign trade for Malcolm Brogdon uh, with Milwaukee. I thought that weakened Milwaukee, but obviously not not enough because Milwaukee's still having a great year. You know, you signed Jeremy Lamb for a bargain. I think it was about three years, thirty million, roughly, maybe about three years, thirty three. And then the trade that really made no sense: T.J. Warren and the thirty second pick for just cash. So I loved what the Pacers did, but the frustrating part, you know, you had Oladipo miss the first half of the year. They're still projected to finish right around that 48 wins. You might be able to get to 50 if we do finish the season. But as being a small market team, do you think the only way for them to really break through is to find that diamond in the rough? Because, Howard, as you know, this is not a team that picks in the top five, really even in the top ten. I mean, you were able to get Paul George at number 10, and you know you struck gold there. But is it just trying to get lucky through the draft because this team primarily builds through trade and, you know, a little bit through the draft, but more role players? Yeah, it's the the basic parameters of the NBA when GMs are discussing these things. There's three ways to get a player, right? You're, there's mm-hmm. the draft, there's free agency, and there's trades. And free agency, when it comes to all-stars, is almost off the table for – most of the league there's a handful of teams where free agency is the way to superstars or to all-stars because they are destination markets they're either the warm markets or the glamour markets big city markets whatever and so for everybody else you've only got two categories to pick from now the draft and trade and even trades are inhibited because on in in an era of shorter contracts a guy like Kyrie Irving when he says to the Cavaliers I want to be traded with two years left and they say well we got to deal with Phoenix on the table and Kyrie says nah I'm not going to Phoenix and, and and Phoenix is not you know not a small market and, and not a cold weather market, uh, but it, it's no longer a destination market. It was once upon a time, but Kyrie could control that because the Suns are going to back away when they realize he's not interested in resigning there. So in reality, it's almost like there's only like one and a half options for teams like the Pacers. There's the draft, and then there's some trades, some players you can get in trade. So it's tough. It's really tough, and you know there's there's no way around it. Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't know what the answer there is. I don't know. You know, there's, there's, you know, I, I don't think that, that the, um, I don't think there's anything the NBA could do structurally to, to fix any of these things either, but there's an equity that's, that's kind of just built into the system or is, is just a, 
part of it. Um, but the Pacers, you know, they have generally drafted well. They've made smart trades. You know, the, the way to try to counteract it all is, is to, you know, is to find another way. And then hopefully maybe you can get enough really high-level players, B-plus level players, that your depth can overwhelm the team that has the two, you know, top ten guys. Um, it, it's, you know, I, I, there's, like the, there's, there's, no, there's no particular formula. You just try to get the best players you can through whatever means you can, develop guys, scour the G League, scour international uh, prospects, and just, just try to outsmart the competition. But it's it's really tough to do. It's even tougher when uh, it's it's set in stone. This team will not go into the luxury tax by any means at any point. So makes it even tougher there because you, you're not able to compete with some of the other teams. Like in the past, when the Pacers took the Cavaliers to Game Seven in the first round, I mean that Cavs team was well into luxury tax, and the Pacers were you know were far from it. So made it even tougher. But I did have a question for my co-host who's unable to make this call. You know, Howard, uh, being someone who covered the Lakers for a while, my co-host Alex Golden wanted to know, uh, did you feel that the Pacers had a real chance against that 2000 Lakers team in the NBA Finals? Because they ran into MVP Shaq and an up-and-coming Kobe Bryant. They, they went to six games. One game was decided in overtime by two points. But what was your thoughts going into that series? Um, talk about testing my memory. So, you know, I, I'm going to assume just without even looking anything up, I, I'm sure that I and everybody else picked the Lakers to win. Mm-hmm. Makes I'm sense. guessing, I'm guessing probably nobody picked the Pacers to win that. Um, you know, it was Shaq and Kobe, but the the thing that often gets lost in, in discussions about that era of the Shaq and Kobe dynasty is that, they were they were incredibly dominant in the postseason in 2001, but in 2000 they had to go to Game Seven in the Conference Finals against Portland, and in 2002 they had to go to Game Seven in the Conference Finals against the Sacramento Kings, and they flirted with disaster just all the time, especially that first run. So that first year, yes, they had Shaq and Kobe, but that same team with Shaq and Kobe had gotten their butts kicked the prior uh, postseason years. by the Spurs. Yeah, mm-hmm. the prior couple of years. So. It's not like this was preordained. Yeah, they won 67 games in the regular season. Yeah, they had Phil Jackson as their coach. But they were, you know, at the start of that season, the Spurs were favored to repeat. And the Trailblazers were favored by a lot of people to be better than the Lakers. By the time we get to the finals, though, and the Lakers have now survived this incredible seven-game series with Portland, um, at that point, it's like, yeah, you got Shaq and Kobe versus Reggie and, I don't know, who fill, fill in the blank of who the – second best player oh, you know, man, we had Rick Smith Jay- Jalen Rose you know Mark Jackson yeah. they right. can't that's compete with Shaq Kobe about, but good team yeah. uh, right a bunch of good players but I wouldn't mm-hmm. I wouldn't that's why exactly. I didn't fill in the blanks so, like, no, no, none of those guys stand out from the rest Jalen mm-hmm. was pretty good back then he was so, he was um but but uh but so that that team like they they, they had better overall maybe depth um or just a, a spread of players who you thought, well, you know, they, they can all they can all contribute in, in this way or that way. Whereas the Lakers were, you know, fairly top heavy. Um, but I, you know, I, I'm going to guess we all picked the Lakers in six. And then as the series unfolded, of course, the pivotal moment is is Game Four. Kobe's already missed a game with the sprained ankle, mm-hmm. badly sprained, where he could barely walk. And then Game Four goes to overtime. Shaq fouls out, and Kobe delivers one of the you know, early signature uh, performances of his career. And 
that you know that's where it tipped because it could have been two two and instead it was three one and you know we, we know how it goes from there but um there was you know it's not like there was no drama there 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 it, it certainly um had its moments when 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 Kobe goes down with the, with the sprained ankle in the first place you're really thinking oh man this 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 thing could could get away from the Lakers they're supposed to win this series but without Kobe uh that could be that could be pretty rough and you know when it's you know series is is two to one Lakers and now everything's hanging in the balance in a game four you know as it definitely it definitely could have gone the other way if, if Kobe doesn't come up with that that phenomenal overtime no, it's true, and that I feel like that game being being able to have Kobe get that win for the Lakers, I really feel like propelled Kobe to that next level. Obviously, he gets him his first championship, and so on. I mean, the Lakers end up three peating. Um, you know, not to dive too deep into being someone who covered the Lakers. I mean, how did the, the passing of Kobe truly affect you, someone who had been around the team and covered them for a number of years? Yeah. Um... You know, obviously, I wrote about this at length, talked mm-hmm. about it at length um, at the time that it happened, and you know, a, a lot, a lot has happened since. That feels a like a, too much. Like five years ago already. Exactly. Um, uh, you know, it, it was, it was, you know, it's still tough to talk about in, in some ways. It's still weird. It's still hard to to grasp that 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 this has happened. That he's not here. That I that will not have another conversation with him. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. My own. Um, you know, professional relationship with him, you know, it, it spanned the seven years that I, that I covered the Lakers as a beat writer. So I was there every day talking to him, mm-hmm. you know, constantly um, ups and downs along the way. And then, you know, I moved to New York in 2004 after, you know, around the same time that Shaq and Kobe you know, were, were broken up and you still covered him at a distance and intersected here and there over the years and, you know, had a, a really good relationship and he gave me time for various stories that I, that I did at the times and at Bleacher Report. And so he's just somebody that I, I had really high regard for uh, his, his, his dedication, to his craft. It's almost a cliche for people to talk about now, but I mean, I, I, I knew it back when he was, you know, 19 and I was covering him. Like he was so dead. His, his dedication, to his craft surpassed anything that I'd seen in anybody in any walk of life. And, and still since. So doctors, lawyers, accountants, whoever. Like, I, 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 I don't think I've ever met anybody who was so single-minded, so incredibly focused, and so dedicated to improvement within their field or, or within you know, their, their chosen profession as, as Kobe Bryant was. And so that's, that's something that you know, I think I always took from my experiences with him that clearly fans uh, really have, have, have internalized about him. Like that's, that's one of the great lessons of his life is that if you love something, pour yourself fully into it and, and, you know, you know, bring that passion and that, and that, that work ethic that, that we all saw in, in him. But um, so that's, that's the broad, you know, my, my, my broad just kind of assessment of, of, of him and my experiences with him and what I took away from it. But, you know, on a personal level and emotional level, I mean, like, like a lot of people, uh, obviously it was, it was just a devastating thing to, uh, to come to, to grips with. And, you know, it, it's, it's not like we were close, close. It's, it's, you know, we were, you know, we had a, a, a good professional rapport and, and we're very friendly with each other over the years. And uh, you know, I enjoyed a lot of off the record, just chit chats with him. We'd talk about, you know, 
families, other stuff. And, you know, after, you know, 23 years, you know, it, it's, it, it does, it does have an impact. So it was, uh, it was tough. I completely understand. I mean, from someone who, who knew him such as yourself, I mean, I can only imagine from watching Kobe was basically someone who I watched my whole entire life. I mean, I'm 28 years old. So when I was young and you know, I missed, I really missed out on Jordan, caught the tail end of his career, more like the last like year or two with Chicago and then the wizard years. But Kobe was someone that I watched, felt like his whole career and his passing, I felt like was something where it was the first time I felt like it was globally felt by someone passing and just, just an unbelievably tragic moment. And I, I thought, you know, while we transition over something a little bit more uh, fun to end the podcast, uh, just a quick little uh, rapid fire on this year's awards. Since, you know, eventually we think that they'll pick the awards. I wanted to hear your awards. I thought we'd start by this year's MVP. Who comes to mind right away? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely Giannis as of right now. And, you know, that was, like a lot of people, I thought like felt like Giannis had the lead for most of the season. I and um, I, I, I will say, having, you know, 16 to 19 games left, depending on the team, that's not insignificant. So I wouldn't have ruled out the idea that LeBron might catch him, depending on how the last month or so of games played out. But if those games are, are never to be, um, then, then no, I don't think the gap could be made up or, or has not been made up. If the season's over, I think Giannis is MVP. Completely agree. I think LeBron was catching fire, but at this point, if the season ends today, it's got to be Giannis. Defensive player of the year, who comes to mind right away? Uh, probably Giannis or Anthony Davis. I haven't. Certain awards, I think, are easier to um, assess than others without mm-hmm, of course. further deep dive, right? Defensive player and the defensive teams, because we don't have any, you know, there's, there's, there's no great metrics for any of that. So that's one where when we get to awards time, it's like, well, I've got some hunches about where I think this should go. But in a normal year, I would spend the last couple of weeks then – looking deeper into the, into the numbers and then asking scouts and, and others around the league coaches and players and just kind of try to get a feel for where people think uh, those should go. And so it's, I, I think it, I'm, I'm really hesitant on, on, on that one, but you know, yeah, Anthony Davis and Giannis are, are, are going to be, um, you know, in, in that discussion, um, probably some others, but it, it's, I had not even started that exercise very tough award to determine it goes far more than just blocks per game as we saw miles turner you know pacer nation was you know really just you know trying to get him that defense player of the year award last year and it turns out he finished like fifth or sixth so it's far more than just the actual numbers it it doesn't you know it's not who has the most rebounds who has the most blocks when you're talking about team metrics the bucks i mean i think they have like you know, seven of the top 10 defenders just because they're such a good defensive team, but it doesn't mean those guys are even anywhere close in the running outside of Giannis. Uh, Rookie of the year, who comes to mind right away there? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that one was over a while ago, too. I think so. It's definitely John Morant. It's John Morant. Um, There's, even if the season had continued, Zion was not going to have enough games. I mean, you know, the night, well, it's just, I I, I always say this, it's rookie of the year, Mm -hmm. year. Now it's sure. obviously not a twelve-month year, but it's you know the idea is that it's of the season. If you play, you know, in, in Zion's case, he's played nineteen games. I think his max number would have been whatever thirty-five games or whatever like it is. That. 
it's not even half the season. I, I don't care how spectacular you are in those 35 games. It's not enough to negate what a guy did in 70 plus, which is what Ja Morant would finish with. So, uh, and Ja was spectacular. And not only that, he elevated a, a Grizzlies team that everybody thought was going to be one of the two, three worst teams in the NBA. And he had, you know, he's, as of right now and frozen forever, <laughs> perhaps mm-hmm. they're in, they're in eighth place. Um, now, I think there was a really good chance the Pelicans were going to get the eighth seed if the season continued. I thought that my my feeling easier was they were schedule, mm-hmm. so and they, and the, the infusion of with, with Zion and the development of everybody, you know, Ingram, everybody, like they were they were on pace. They were they were in good shape. I think they were going to get it. I still would have voted for John Morant over Zion, even if he helped get the Pelicans in the playoffs, because he still wouldn't have played enough games. Period. Howard, I'm completely guilty. I, I thought the Grizzlies were going to be a pretty bad team, and I thought that you know I knew their pick was top eight protected, so I thought that that would be even more of an incentive to you know not put together the best year. But they've surprised me, and that is you know a lot of credit has to go to John Morant. Similar to when you know Malcolm Brogdon won Rookie of the Year, Joel Embiid was great that year, but I think he only played about 33 games. So there was no way that he could truly win Rookie of the Year, especially he had, he had sat out for two years. But I know you don't hold that against him, but Brogdon played all season, and uh, you know he, he was deserving of the award. Uh, last question, NBA Finals matchup and champion, who do you got? <laughs> um, so the Bucks are the obvious choice in the East, but I've been saying all along, I, I, I'm – I, I've got some doubts about them. I don't think it's a given. People around the NBA are, are mixed on on the, the Bucks as Eastern Conference champion. I think the Celtics and Raptors both, if we have a playoffs, I think both of those teams have a legit shot at, at knocking them off. Not predicting they will, just saying that there is there is some discussion there. The West is, is a two-team race, obviously. It's, it's the two L.A. teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think Denver, Utah, Houston, anybody else you want to throw in the mix, I just don't think they've got enough. Um, I, I, I picked the Clippers before the season. I guess out of, for sake of consistency, I should stick with them and, and go Clippers-Bucks with the Clippers winning the championship. But um, we are going to see, if we see NBA you know, games again anytime soon, and, and, if, and if the playoffs, you know, however they, they are structured – I don't know that that we can expect to see anybody looking exactly as we remember them uh, when things last left off. So, um, I'll, I'll, which is, I guess, this is the ultimate qualifier to say ignore all of this if I'm wrong. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But I, I think if anything, this hurts a team like the Bucks, who have been pretty much hot all year, and then now you know you're really cool them off. Where a guy like LeBron James, you know, he was trying to play as many games as possible, and I think that this kind of gives him some of that rest. Same with Kawhi. I'm with you. I do think it was one of the L.A teams but Howard as we sign off today I want to thank you very much for coming on the show as I mentioned everybody Howard if you are not following him right now he is one of the best follows on Twitter and you have to tune in to the full 48 but tell everybody where they could find you on social media they can find me on Twitter at Howard Beck Um, I think my Instagram is probably also at Howard Beck but I don't get on Instagram ever almost so uh, I can't even remember my own handle i'm actually looking it up as as we speak um uh, i'm howard a beck on uh on instagram where i don't post anything so just find me on twitter hey that, wor- that works for me i don't post too much on instagram so twitter is where uh, everyone can find me as well but howard once again appreciate the time and uh stay safe during this confusing time 
Yeah, you too. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Um, good luck to everyone out there, and uh, let's let's hope we get some uh, NBA and uh, and and just normalcy back to our society. Period. Um, in the foreseeable future. You got it. Take care. All right, everybody, we are back. I hope you enjoyed that segment with Howard Beck. Pretty cool. Howard failed to mention that he had just interviewed Danny Green moments before we spoke and ended up releasing his episode on the full 48 uh, just moments after we concluded. So highly recommend you check that one out. Um, But you guys are not going to want to miss our next episode on Setting the Pace where we're teaming up with the Born Ready to Pod group and we're going to go through our Elite Eight of the Pacers March Madness. I mean, we have just an awesome segment going on right now. The voting has been uh, posted for the past uh, week or so where you could you could put in your, your vote on who you think the top Pacer team of all time is in the NBA, not ABA. But just an awesome uh, segment that we have coming up later this week, so you're not going to want to miss that. But you can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. My co-host Alex Golden can be found at AlexGoldenNBA. And for today, we are out of time, but I just hope that you guys all stay safe. And remember one last thing during this time. Let's go Pacers. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.